kids in nursery, you may be dismissed. Everyone else, if you have your Bibles, you can open up to uh, Mark chapter 6. And uh, as we go throughout this month, keep an eye on your email. We are working on a Good Friday service. Um, and I should know this week if that's going to be finalized with the school use and all of that. Um, and we'll definitely have our Easter service as well. And so, it's, uh, I was reading recently and listening, I like to listen to different podcasts of preachers, and, and uh, a speaker opened up and asked that question, what is love? And for some reason, just maybe it's my generation or what I watch, but Every time I hear that phrase, what is love, I think it was a Saturday Night Live skit, and they're like, what is love, baby, don't hurt me, don't hurt me no more, and I start moving my head. Uh, and I was like, huh, that's an interesting lyric. I wonder how many songs have that lyric, how many people sing about that, because we always hear songs about that, that question, what is love? Did you know that there are over 112 artists that have written about that, 355,000 lyrics? and 112 albums with that in their title over the, I guess, life of American music. Uh, it's amazing, that question, and the world sings about it, and often they're singing about romantic love. But love is also the most popular description of who God is. God is love. If somebody believes in God, they like to say, God is love. The problem is we have to ask, well, then what is love? What do you mean by that when you say God is love? What does that look like to say God is love? And we also must remember that God, yes, he is love, but he's so many other things. His character is so much broader and encompasses so many things about who he is. And as we walk through the Gospel of Mark together, we get to see... Uh, the idea that God is love, but we get to see love in the flesh. Love is at the heart of God's story. It's at the heart of our story. Uh, God loved us so much that he created us for a relationship with him. That's his desire, that we love him back and make that choice. John 3.16 says, that famous verse, that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. So God demonstrates his love in that he sent Jesus to us. And Jesus walked and talked. And sometimes we don't define things as love whenever we look at what he's doing. But he actually, his whole life is a demonstration of God's love. And as I read through a very familiar passage with, if you've been in the church at all, you may have heard this story today. I began to look at it from that perspective of how is Jesus showing love in this second half here of Mark chapter 6. Um, last week we talked about, and we're looking at this idea that Jesus was in his hometown, and they rejected him. They didn't want to hear his message. And then his disciples went out and he said, this is the first time you're going out to preach repentance and that the kingdom has come, the start of the good news, the gospel. He said, you're going to get rejected. Shake your feet off and keep sharing the mission. And then we saw King Herod not only rejected the message from John the Baptist, but he attacked it and beheaded him. And so it's in this context that we see, and we jump into chapter 6 where it says, um, 
that they, in verse 30, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all they had done and taught. They returned back to Jesus and gave him a report of everything that happened when they went out two by two sharing the good news of the gospel. And so as they did that, uh, they had many different experiences and they came back to Jesus. And we're going to see in his first response to him uh, a couple things that show uh, what God's love looks like. And the first thing is that its love is compassionate and personal. Now, we started off the year, and it's online if you want to hear it. We started off the year, and I just talked for four weeks about the concept of rest. What does it mean to have Sabbath in our lives today? And here we see Jesus immediately looks at his disciples, tired from the journey, and he says to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure to even eat. And so he says, you're on a mission with me. It's a vital, it's the world's most important mission to be with me. I am the son of God. And what's he do? He says, let's take a break. You need some leisure. You need some rest. You need a rhythm of enjoyment in your life. You need to enjoy being with the Lord. You need solitude to get away from the hurry of life. And then you need to cultivate a heart of thankfulness. That's how we define rest. And so I wonder, how are you doing this year with rest? Are you just go, go, go? Here is spring break on. It's like a track meet until the end of the school year for some of you. And for others, you have a job that may never seem to give you rest. Do you fight for that rhythm in your life? You take time to be with the Lord. You have to schedule it in. Rachel and I need to schedule it in sometimes. Just time where we can pray and seek the Lord and step back. And so I'd encourage you to do that. Have a weekly rhythm, but then take times as a family, even it's leading into Easter to reflect on what Christ has done for us, setting aside time. And so as they rested, the crowds were unrelenting and they kept coming to them. And it says that uh, they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now, many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. That's pretty good running, first off. Um, but can you imagine that? You, you, you've been out on a mission, you're coming to the shore, you're just trying to get rejuvenated, and as you get closer to the shore, it's like ants moving. They're almost anticipating. I would have said, Jesus... There's another dock a few miles down. They can't outrun us to that one. But as they began to come in on this crowd, pushing in on them, how does Jesus respond to this situation? Well, they come in, and, and it says, whenever Jesus was looking out upon them, uh, many saw them going, and he says, when he went ashore, he saw the great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a, sh- a shepherd. And we immediately begin to see Jesus' love on display. Uh, the word there for compassion, it's one that's actually pretty hard to translate into English. It's the word splachna in the original language, and it is a gut feeling. It comes from deep inside. He was moved. 
Now, now, with my family, sometimes you see a child hurt or your loved one suffering or they need something and you feel that compassion for them because you love them so much. But to have that for strangers who are encringing upon you and crowding on you and demanding from you, that's a different kind of love. To look at them and say, I have compassion for these lost people. I have compassion for their plight. And it's a pretty important picture. Uh, the picture of a shepherd is of one who cares for a flock. Um, and this was a flock that didn't even know him, but they saw him wandering around without hope, unfed. Literally, here we'll see in a minute, but spiritually as well, in need of the truth. Uh, sheep without a shepherd don't take very good care of themselves. So Jesus came and he showed the disciples, we are here to care and to serve. And he came to seek and to save and to serve those who are lost. And I wonder if we kind of have this in our own minds, if we can show this kind of compassion, even to hostile people or those that interrupt our schedules. Those we don't know that we might have an opportunity to get to know. Those that live a lifestyle that is offensive or abrasive, a neighbor that's just uh, uncaring and <laughs> disrespectful, or it's hard to have compassion. But that kind of compassion and love comes from God because that's what God is love. And he loved us and sent his son while we were still sinners, while we're still struggling. And we even saw that Jesus his disciples had experienced rejection. Jesus was rejected in his hometown, and yet he kept that compassion despite the reaction of people around him. That's a challenging picture that God gives us, isn't it? To keep this kind of compassion going. And so he begins to teach them, and he begins to feed them by speaking to them the word of God, uh, speaking and preaching about the kingdom and when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. And the hour is late. They had run from all the towns over to this place where there's no food. And if they were running in a hurry to follow him, I'm sure many of them didn't grab anything. They just ran and, and followed the masses to hear Jesus speak. It was such a frenzy at that point in his ministry. And so they said, send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Now Jesus, his mission was not only to the people who were there, but keep in mind that he's constantly training up these men. And so he responds to them, you give them something to eat. And being practical, they said, well, shall we go out then and, and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. Now this is a miracle that's accounted in the other Gospels too. And we know that they go out and all they find among the crowd is uh, some fish and some loaves of bread. And Jesus is, once again, just as he sent them out earlier in this chapter, he said, take nothing with you. Don't take two tunics. Don't take your satchel of money. Trust in the Lord to provide. Lesson number two on provision is happening right here. Trust in the Lord to provide. 
Do you believe I am who I am? They had seen him do all of these miracles, healing people. Uh, They'd seen him speak, and the storm was calm like that. And he's trying to get them to trust in him and in who he is and in his power. And uh, they said, how many loaves do you have? And they found out, and they said, we have five loaves and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. And they sat down and by hundreds and fifties. And taking them uh, the loaves and bread, he blessed them. Now, this is an interesting... I still haven't figured out this miracle because not only did he multiply the fishes and loaves, but I'm... Did baskets get multiplied? Because I had 12 baskets left over. So I don't know where the baskets all came from. Did they have baskets? To, I don't know. So uh, we don't know all the details of how this works out. But as they began to hand out this, I think the crowds began to murmur and the disciples began to realize slowly what was happening, that a miracle was indeed happening in their place. Where did this food come from? Where's this provision from? What on earth is going on here? And it's an amazing picture and scene of God's love shown in a tangible way, much like when he offered cold, was offering water to the woman at the well. And then something interesting happens. In the middle of this, they should be saying, ah, oh, we're eating, we're kicking back, finally relaxing, the crowds are satisfied. Um, Let's enjoy this meal together and this moment. But no, <laughs> what does Jesus do? Um, and he goes immediately in verse 45. He made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Like, and the idea of immediately, it means he took them and forced them onto the boat. He said, no, you need to leave now. You need to get out of here. Why did he do that? Why didn't he just let them relax? Was he trying to beat the crowds? Well, that's just like me, a sporting event. If the team's going to lose, I'm like, we got to go now. Get out of the parking lot before this game is over. I've only had a couple regrets of that with miracle comebacks, but, but I like to beat the crowds. And before they could process this, I think the crowds were beginning to catch on what was happening. In John 6... Uh, we have the same story accounted for from John's perspective. And he says this. Uh, he said, When the people saw the sign he had done, referring to the bread and the fish, they, this indeed, they said, is the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force and make him king, Jesus withdrew again. And so Jesus' love is not only compassionate, it is also a love that uh, protects. He was protecting his disciples. He knew that the, his mission was going to be thrown off track by this crowd, wanting him to become a political king and show force like King David and have Israel reign again and conquer Roman rule. But in order to avoid this, his time had not yet come. He moved them along, protecting them from this false view of who he is. It's important to understand that God protects us. He's given us his word. People who teach his word who understand right doctrine. See, because we're not much unlike the crowds. <laughs> trying to make Jesus fit into who we want him to be. Uh, the 
youth group has all made sure I've seen the previews for the Aladdin movie. Our youth group tend to like Disney movies. But uh, the Aladdin movie is coming out live action, uh, and Will Smith is the genie. You, know, you rub the bottle, and the genie gives you three wishes. And I think a lot of times, especially in the Western world, we treat Jesus like that. We say, what can he do for me? And we define love by the standards of relativity, inclusivity, and self-centeredness of what, what does love mean to me. It may mean something different to you. And so we begin to turn church into all about ourselves. And Jesus is all about me. And we can miss the picture. And that's what Jesus wants to protect us from. He's protecting the disciples from a wrong view of who he is. And he knew they weren't ready yet. And so he put them in the boat and he sent them off. And what does he do with himself? He goes and he rests. And he spends time with the Lord in prayer. And meanwhile, he sends them out, and uh, they're on the boat. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were uh, making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. Now, I love my wife, and I try to plan good activities and dates. And so my friend in Wyoming, when we lived there, had a boat. And I thought, well, then, good thing, the kids... Well, I'll have them with their babysitter for four or five hours, and I'll take her out, and we'll just do a three-mile float down the uh, North Platte River. That was right there in Casper, Wyoming. And uh, the problem is that we got in the boat, and we came around this corner, and when we got around the corner, we were facing the wind, and it was, unbeknownst to me, a high-end boat, and I'd always been in one that was low in the water. This had the front that was up high, and I could not make headway. I was exhausted rowing, and I'm like, we're never going to get there. I was bad, and I just had barely learned rowing. It was really a bad idea overall. But um, so I had to even pull off to the side, and I scratched the boat up because there was no dock there, and I had to call the tow company that, oh, it was a mess. But I didn't destroy the boat, but uh, Rachel never talks about that date much with anybody else. But... So I know that pain of being in there and being out. And if you've ever, ever been to the Holy Land, I have not. I've seen pictures of it's hard to make headway against the wind. And so they're out there struggling and, and tired and not getting anywhere. And then along comes Jesus walking on the water. Now, right off, I don't think they recognized him right away. Um, it, it says, in about the fourth watch of the night... He came to them walking on the sea, and he meant to pass them by. You ever catch that? He meant to pass them by? Who's just going to walk and let him struggle, or what was going on there? That phrase caught my attention. I thought, i got to dig into that, uh, because the Lord intended to pass them by. How is that love? <laughs> um, what does that mean? Well, there are really two popular ways of looking at it. One is that Jesus meant to pass them by, and uh, that was the perspective of the disciples. They thought he was going to pass them by. The other ties into the same phrase that's used in the Old Testament, talking about when God passed by. In the Old Testament, God passed by Elijah, and he passed by Moses, and they were only allowed to see him from the back to see his glory. 
And uh, it ties into this phrase, and that's the one I think was the effect that God meant to pass them by. In other words, he was showing them his glory walking there, and it says that they were astonished, and they saw him walking, and they, they cried out. At first, they, they thought it was a ghost. This is in the night, and they saw him, and they were terrified. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. He got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astonished, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. And their hearts weren't hardened towards Jesus or the gospel, but they didn't have a full understanding of his mission. They didn't have a full understanding, even with all the miracles of who he is and what he came to do. And so, as we walk through this and we look at this, I wonder if we look at this and we see that God's love is compassionate and personal and protects, but then we're going to see that God's love is also uh, patient and persistent with us. Disciples had opportunity. They had just gone out and performed miracles themselves. And here they are uh, astonished and confused by the miracle, the 12 baskets of the fishes and the loaves. And If you turn over even just a a page or two in your Bible to Mark chapter 8, Jesus later on feeds 4,000. And there are seven uh, baskets left over with bread. And then it says that they demanded a sign from him. The Pharisees did. and, And once again, Jesus looked at the disciples and he says, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread after this miracle? Do you perceive or not understand? Are your hearts still hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And he says, "And do you not remember when I broke five loaves for 5,000 people? And how many baskets full of broken pieces did you make up after that and take up? You took up 12, he says. And then the seven today. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? God is patient and persistent. This is God's love. It breaks beyond the world's definitions and lyrics of wishful thinking to a powerful and transforming love. Because God ultimately is about this. He loves you exactly where you're at. And, and yet, here's what most of the world misses and many Christians miss. He loves you at where you're at but he had no intention of leaving you there. He met the crowds where they were at. He taught them and he gave them the word of God. He would go and, and, and directly talk to the woman at the well and he said, you know what? Your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. He didn't want you to stay like that. The woman they were about to stone, he said the same thing. He said, your sins are forgiven. Go and live the same way or however you want. No, he said, your sins are forgiven. Go and live for me. Cast out demons of a man tortured for years. And what did he say? Go back and tell the people what I have done for you. The disciples over and over struggled to understand who he was and have faith in him. And despite him calming storms, and he patiently and persistently keeps teaching them, bringing them along, showing him his mission, and preparing them for their mission. God's love is compassionate and caring. It pursues us. It protects us. It's patient and it's persistent and it's personal. 
God loves you. And that's the gospel message. That's the message of God who lived out. Jesus came with this kind of gut love for people, knowing that his end would be them putting him on a cross. I don't know if I could love people who I knew were ultimately going to kill me and I knew exactly how they were going to do it. That was my mission. That's pretty tough. But you see, the gospel is a movement. It's not just a moment in history. It's a movement in our hearts and God's love spreads. It cannot be contained. And so often, uh, even I've done this in the past, I've preached this passage and then you kind of just move on with that last little section of verses in verse 53 to verse 56. But actually they're pretty important in our understanding of the gospel and what our mission is here at Incline Church. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and moved to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring sick people on their beds wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came in the villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick people in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many touched him were made well. What's going on in this scene? Well, it's pretty amazing. (laughs) I grew up in uh, Hawaii, and... uh, we would go out and try and boogie board. I didn't surf much, I've told you that. But, but going out and, and trying to paddle into a wave uses muscles I never even knew I had. Then you come back and you go in, in Texas and in Ohio, I was in a park, and these different water parks have what? They have wave makers, and you take your boogie board and you just step into that wave, and you get to ride it. And that wave is consistent, you get a good ride, you can slide in and out of it, It happens automatically. But there's something a little bit different about actually going out and working and ducking under waves and paddling and catching a wave that you can't control, that you can't predict. See, I think that sometimes we like to go to church and experience Sunday morning and we can do things with music and with how we operate and what we preach on and how comfortable we are and what programs we are on and we can create our own waves and we just get on it every Sunday we know what it's going to be like it's going to be consistent we're going to have a ride with God then we can get off when we'd like and go get back in line do whatever we'd like around the park but that's quite a bit different than waiting upon a wave and having to catch the wave What's happening here at the end of Mark is that the wave has built of the gospel and it's swelling. And the disciples are looking around and they're beginning to see what it's like when the Holy Spirit moves. And when God begins to change lives and you look at it and you say, we had nothing to do with that. We're just lucky to be in God's path and ride this wave. That's what we're hoping for. You see what's happening here? If you remember at the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, four guys put a man on a stretcher, tore open this hole in a roof, and lowered him down before Jesus. And he was healed. Guess what? Word spread. People brought this guy to Jesus, and he healed him. Later on, a woman in a crowd 
touched the hem of his robe. He turned around and talked to her. She was healed of her bleeding. What's happening here? People heard about what God does. The Holy Spirit's moving. Now we have people everywhere bringing their friends to Jesus. We have people everywhere trying to reach out and touch the hem of his robe. That's ministry multiplied. That's disciple-making. That's the word of God growing and the momentum of his kingdom swelling up like a wave in villages and cities and countrysides. People are realizing the power of Jesus Christ and beginning to understand that God's Holy Spirit is beginning to multiply the work. That's every, this was a culmination point in Mark. He talked about the sower and the seed. He cast the seed. He doesn't know how it grows. That's where the disciples' hearts were hard and they weren't quite connecting the dots saying, the seeds are growing and we know not how. But look at all that's happening. We're being used by God. All these people are coming. More and more people are telling about Jesus. And this was before any technology and it spread like wildfire. So are we content to settle for less transformation, less trust, less joy? Um, lesser notions or de- definitions of love or less Jesus? We're just content to paddle in here on a Sunday morning, catch our wave and leave, or do we want something more from the Lord? Because Jesus loves you where you are. There's no doubt about that. But he doesn't want you to stay there. He has more for you. I don't know what that looks like for each of us. There's sins to deal with in our lives. There's also opportunities of people to reach and, and talk to and share. Maybe somebody that you invite to Easter service to hear the gospel, and their lives have changed forever. And so do we have a right view of God's love? Um, As you go out this week, are you going to respond to God's truth in your life, or is it just Sunday morning, and do you let him speak into you if you are being nudged with something you need to fix right now? Are you willing to do that? Are you showing God's love and compassionate to those who may inconvenience you? (laughs) What that looks like is different in every circumstance. Then who is God putting on your heart that you could invite to Easter to reach and to touch with the gospel? Because I tell you, I I only did it on a boogie board. and I caught one wave on a surfboard. That's because another guy paddled me into it. But when you catch that real wave, it's amazing. (laughs) It's just this amazing ride and you can see why people love to do it and i can tell you when the holy spirit when you see god working and and he uses you a broken and weakened vessel to impact someone's life it's the most amazing thing you can ever be a part of that's the exciting thing is when we go out and we begin to reach the community and we have our easter egg hunt and you'll have some kids who are out there who may not be very kind to other kids. And you just want to scold them. Or they may try and attack some of our youth group who are trying to run the bounce house in an orderly way. (laughs) How do we show kindness and compassion and God's love to them and actually look at them and say, I am so glad you are here today. I remember one of our first basketball camps, one of Naomi's teachers who I just met came and volunteered. And after the camp, I looked over she was getting berated by this mom. My son had a horrible day. Da, da, da. I went over and I said to the young boy and looked at his mom and said, we're so glad you came to our camp today. Can you tell your mom how the camp really went? 
for two and a half hours. I was really happy, but then we played a game and I lost and I got upset and climbed in the trash can and wouldn't get out. But, uh, <laughs> and she's like, oh, you see her face change. She's like, I'm so sorry. I said, we are glad he's here. And he did a great job. But at the end, I did let him have some competition and he did struggle with that. And that's okay. And she was blown away. She's like, yeah, no, most people would have argued back with me. And as much as we may have wanted to or were frustrated, that we are able to show the God's love in that way. We don't know how it translates, but over time when we do that and we respond differently than our culture and our world, they begin to see it and hearts begin to soften to the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the opportunity we have to be a part of your work, your wave. And it's amazing to see that even in your own ministry, the people were tough, and yet Jesus had a love that's beyond comprehension. Not only a love for those who were following him, but a love for his disciples that continued to be patient and teach them and say, oh, you don't get it yet. You don't get who I am. Believe in me. Look around you at what God's doing through you and through these people. Have faith in me. May we have that kind of faith, Lord. May we not just get used to reading about these miracles. May we not get used to coming into church and having our song set, our message, and then our rest of our day off. May we actually, as a body of believers and as people who need to know you, seek something more. Something that only you can do so that when its incline moves and we grow and we reach people, we can look back and say, we didn't really have much to do with that, but we'd see God working in lives just because we're willing and we're open-handed and saying, God, use us how you will to reach whoever. Lord, we have a lot of people in this next month in our culture and opportunities to reach out and And just show your love. But may we show a love that says, hey, we're glad you're here where you're at, but Jesus doesn't want you to stay there. He's got real, tangible, life-changing help for us and for you. We pray all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.